The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would help us feel both the wonder and the weight of your word this morning. Now, we would want nothing more, Jesus, than to make your name known. So even now, in these few moments together, would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to embrace Christ as we encounter him in your word. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Please be seated. Again, good morning, Redeemer, and greetings from all saints. It really is a a true privilege to get to be here and to preach at uh, Redeemer. And thank you for the warm welcome and for your prayers and support for both me and my family, as well as uh, Resurrection Presbyterian Church, this new church that we're starting in our city. It's It's a real delight to get to be here. We're going to be in Matthew 13, but before we get there, I want to begin with a quote. Some of you may know the name Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott graduated from Wheaton College with his heart riveted by the gospel to take the name of Jesus to a people who had never heard of him. So along with four missionary friends and their families, all five of them were married, four were fathers, Elliot landed in Ecuador to engage a remote, totally unreached jungle tribe for Jesus. And on January 8th of 1956, all five of them were speared to death for the cause of Christ among the Alka Indians. Jim was only 28. But this is what he had written in his diary. This is a a well-known quote. He had written, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. By the end of 2022, researchers estimated that the global population had exceeded 8 billion people. And they project that it will reach 9 to 10 billion as early as 2050. Now, I don't bring that up to talk about climate change or overcrowding or anything like that, but simply to shine a big Bible spotlight on 8 billion human beings like you and me who bear the image of God, who will be born, will live, will die, and enter eternity. And we still have the words of the resurrected Jesus ringing in our ears, don't we? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now it shouldn't be too hard to see what the church's mission is. But the question that I think we need to wrestle with is, does it matter to us? Does it 
actually impact the way we think about our lives, about Jesus, about the gospel, about our money, about our neighbors next door to us, or the nations and eternity. In other words, is this peripheral to the life of a Christian or central? I picked these two parables this morning from Matthew 13 as a place for us to start thinking about the mission of the capital C church. And along the way, I'm going to be pulling in lots of different passages, but I wanted to start here because I think Jesus gets us to the goal of missions, to what we want to see happen in neighborhoods that are near to us here in Austin among the two plus million people in the metro and what we want to see happen in nations far from us among those eight billion people. My prayer is that some who are sitting here this morning will be compelled by God's glory in the gospel to leverage their lives for the cause of Christ in the world. Because the truth is, you and I will never commend to others what we ourselves don't cherish. If we don't see Jesus as supremely valuable, we will not go out of our way or we won't make any sacrifice to make him known. Whether that's across our street or across an ocean. To put it simply, we praise what we prize. We know this to be true. This is what C.S. Lewis reminds us of. Some of you may know the quote. He says, the world rings with praise. Lovers praising their mistresses. Readers, their favorite poet. I had not noticed that just as men spontaneously praise whatever they value, so they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. And what these parables do is they point us to the prize. They point us to the value in order to lead you and me to praise. I'm going to argue that when Jesus says here, that this is what the kingdom of heaven is like, he intends for us to draw a conclusion about what the king himself is like. So look there with me at verse 44. Listen to what Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure. It's hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value, he went and he sold all that he had and bought it. First, notice that these two parables present us with two kinds of people. Maybe the stroller and the seeker, right? The first person here is just strolling along, living life. Probably not thinking too much about God or death or eternity or the meaning of their existence. They're getting married. Building wealth, buying a house, raising kids, planning for retirement. And then out of the blue, they stumble upon a treasure of inestimable value. And then there's a person who's actively searching for something. For satisfaction, maybe. For significance, for meaning, for purpose, for God. And in their quest, they finally discover a pearl of incalculable value. So in both of these, we see that each person encounters something that is more valuable, it's more precious to them than all of their earthly possessions. And when they do, when they find it, they give up everything they have to gain it. Here's what I think is going on here. Jesus is painting a picture of the birth of a believer. 
This is the experience of someone who encounters Christ in the gospel, who sees his infinite beauty and value and finds him supremely satisfying and embraces him knowing that everything else in this world, and I mean everything, right? Possessions, reputation, house, zip code, comforts, travel, family, and all the rest, that it pales in comparison to having him. Which means that saving faith is not stepping on Jesus to get something we want more. He's not a means to some other end. He is the end. What we see here is that Jesus will only be treasured. He won't be used. Which is why he says that man was glad to sell everything he had in order to gain the one thing he couldn't go without. You see what it says? It says in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. To go back to the Jim Elliott quote, he's no fool. He might look like a fool to his friends in that moment, right? But he's no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. And I think it forces the question, does this describe us? Is this who Jesus is to us? A supreme treasure? A prized pearl? Or do we prefer something else more than him? You know, are we in danger of being like the, the rich young ruler when he asked Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Remember what Jesus says to him? He says, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. And then it says, but when the man heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Translation, he loved his money more, and Jesus exposed it. Maybe it's not money for you. Maybe it's something entirely different. He was a fool not to take the better offer, because in his eyes, Jesus wasn't worthy to follow, not if it cost him everything. Now, if you're sitting there thinking that all of this is at best implied here in these parables, let me take you to the Apostle Paul where he would be hard-pressed, I think, to make this point more explicit. This is from Philippians chapter 3. Listen to the language Paul uses here. Okay? He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Could he be any clearer there? What Paul is describing is the experience and the testimony of every Christian. That's the point of these parables. Jesus is their treasure. He is the pearl. He is the prize. Therefore, I'm arguing that God's great goal in missions can be summed up in a word, worship. It is to create joyful worshipers of Jesus. For men and women, boys and girls, whether they are here in Austin or Algeria, to encounter Christ in the gospel and to embrace him as eternally satisfying, counting every competing prize 
as loss in comparison to having him. This is at the heart of an enduring faith and the heart of the mission that takes men and their families to the jungles of Ecuador to reach people who have never heard. Now, if that's the goal of missions, why should it matter to you and me? And that's where I want us to turn next because again, we praise what we prize. That if Jesus Christ truly is our, our treasure, we'll want to tell the world about him. It'll spontaneously spill out of us, as Lewis says. And what we find is that worship is not only the goal of missions, it's also what fuels it. And if you were to come over to my house on any given day and you were to walk through our front door, it is very likely that you would encounter things like Legos and blocks and magnet tiles. And that's because we have four young kids who are building and tearing things down all day so that it looks like a bomb went off. Like you guys know that, right? You're a parent. If you want to build a foundation strong enough to support a structure and be able to put all the right pieces into place, you first need to clear away the clutter. And that's what I want to try to do this morning. Begin to add fuel to the fire of our worship by laying a foundation for missions. In other words, what are a, a few big things that we believe to be true based on what we see in the Bible that serve like pillars in support of leveraging all of our resources to take this gospel treasure to some of the hardest to reach places in the world? I'll mention four. Um, we are planting a new church called Resurrection Presbyterian. Let me read to you our, our vision statement as a church. We exist to see Jesus encountered and embraced in Austin to the ends of the earth. What I want to do first is focus on the ends of the earth part and then bring it home here to Austin and talk particularly about church planting. So let me take you back to the beginning with the 8 billion people that we started off with. And specifically, I want us to be thinking about how over 3 billion of them have never even heard the name of Jesus. Like, let that sink in for a moment. People just like you and me, made in God's image, moms and dads, brothers, sisters, with dreams and desires, who like us are born into sin and deserving of hell and in desperate need of a savior. But who, because of where they were born, they will live, they will die, never once hearing the good news that you and I cherish this morning. And they will perish apart from Christ. And the reality is there are precious few people, if any, at this moment in history making their way to them in order to make the name of Jesus known among them. So the first thing to say, the first pillar in support of taking this gospel to the nations is that Jesus is worthy of the world's worship. He's worthy of the world's worship. As John Piper has said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Now, we've already seen that Jesus is worthy. He is the treasure in the field. But why is he worthy? And we get a clear answer to that question in places like Revelation 5, 9, where it says of Jesus, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood 
you have purchased, ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Did you hear in those words why Jesus is worthy of the worship of all peoples? It's because he has purchased by his blood a people for God from every single one of them. That's why he's worthy. What this verse is getting at when it says every tribe, language, people, and nation is what we know today as people groups. Now you might be sitting there thinking, okay, what's a a people group? Here's one definition from missiologists. They say for evangelization purposes, a people group is the largest group within which the gospel can spread as a church planting movement without encountering barriers of understanding or acceptance. So think of things like language and cultural differences that prevent the gospel from spreading and from churches being planted. That's a people group. Now it's estimated, get this, it's estimated there are over 17,000 such people groups in the world. And of that number, over 7,000 of them are still considered unreached and unengaged, meaning they have little to no access to the gospel. That's roughly 3 billion people with no church to walk into and no Christian that they can talk to. They'll be born, they'll live, they'll die, and likely never hear the name of Jesus. They simply won't encounter him. What this verse, among others, tells us is that Jesus, on the cross, shed his blood to ransom people from every single one of them. And he commissions, he calls the church, you and me, to make disciples so that his name is known and he is worshipped among all of them because he is worthy. And so the gospel is not only the greatest news in all the world, it is the greatest news for all the world. Do we believe it? Which leads to a second thing we believe to be true, based on the Bible, for why the mission of the church matters. And that is we believe in the eternal realities of heaven and hell. This is fresh on my mind this morning. Just got back from West Virginia, where I'm from, for a funeral. And you, you've experienced the same. Right? Heaven and hell. Do we believe that these are eternal realities? We believe that those who receive Christ as their treasure will experience God's pleasure and presence and the happiness of heaven for all of eternity. You know, Psalm 16, 11, in your presence there is fullness of joy at your right hand, our pleasures forevermore. So we believe that on the one hand, but for those who reject Christ or who haven't encountered him, those three billion people alive today, as well as our neighbors who live on our street, they will experience God's wrath and his rejection in the horrors of hell for all of eternity. Friends, it is so easy for us to forget or to simply flat out deny, especially with the cultural air that you and I breathe. But this is what's at stake in missions. Therefore, the good news is of eternal importance because of these two realities of judgment and joy. Now, there are lots of places that we could go to see this, but we don't even have to leave Matthew 13. If you have a Bible open, you'll you'll see this. But these two parables are bookended by Jesus's explanation of the parable of the weeds that just comes before ours and the parable of the net which comes after where Jesus says things like 
The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not a coincidence, then, that Jesus and Matthew here would put the treasure and the pearl between two parables of judgment. Because he wants you and me to know exactly where joy that is full and forever is found. It's found in Jesus. That to embrace him as your greatest joy is to escape eternal judgment. Because in the end, these are the only two destinies for every person on the planet. And Jesus, as he's offered in the gospel, is the only way to everlasting joy. Which leads to the third critical piece of the foundation, the cornerstone, which is the absolute necessity of Christ for salvation. Let me give just a handful of texts that highlight this point. John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4, 11, and 12, Peter says to the Jewish leaders, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or just take the Apostle Paul. If there is a man who believed this, he's certainly that. Which is why he kept taking the gospel to people in places who had not yet heard, and it cost him his life to do so. But listen to what he says in Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on Jesus in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who's believed what he's heard from us? So it's an important verse. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Paul is saying there that no one, no one can be saved apart from the preaching of the gospel and faith in Jesus. Because it is in the gospel that we encounter Christ. There is no other way. There's no other name. He is the cornerstone, and without him, the whole thing crumbles. And this leads then to the fourth and the final pillar. That if these things are true, that Jesus is worthy of the world's worship, that he has purchased a people for God from among all peoples, that there awaits either eternal judgment or joy for every one of us, and no one can be saved from their sin apart from embracing Jesus as he is offered in the gospel, that if these things are true, then surely there is an urgency to reach the unreached around the world and the unchurched here at home. Surely that must be true. Again, Paul thought so. He says in Romans chapter 15, I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand anyone in the room got that kind of ambition i hope so paul had gotten his arms around the treasure 
And he wanted to tell the world where to find it. He went to places where no one had yet gone with the gospel and no church had been established because he really believed what theologian Carl Henry believed. That the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. The gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So that's, that's the nations. What about here at home? Because not every follower of Jesus is going to live out their days in India or China. They're going to faithfully live right in the neighborhood in which God has put them. And that's most of us. But here's what I've been trying to get us to see. The foundation is the same for both. That whether it's to the nations or to our neighborhoods, it is the same fuel for the fire. Like This is not an either or, it's a both and. It's why my family and I came to Austin to partner with All Saints in planting a church. Because we desperately want to see the resurrected, now reigning, soon to return Jesus encountered and embraced in Austin and to the ends of the earth. We want Psalm 67 to be our prayer and to be our passion. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. And let that praise start right here in our own city. Because as Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, the whole point of our salvation, the reason we exist, the reason that you are a Christian is to the praise of God's glorious grace in Christ Jesus. We praise what we prize. And there is no prize more precious or more praiseworthy than Jesus. Therefore, the whole reason for planting a new church is for that praise to happen. For people, including us this morning, to know and to delight in the supreme value and beauty of Jesus and in knowing and treasuring him above all else, want nothing more than to make him known among our neighbors and among the nations. Let me end and try to put a fine point on this and finish where we started by giving Jim Elliott the final word. Uh, after his death, a rescue party found his diary. And these were the last words that he wrote as he and his four friends waited for the Alka Indians to come to them. These are Jim Elliott's words. I walked out to the hill just now. It is exalting, delicious to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattail and the heavens hailing your heart to gaze in glory and give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him. If only I may love him, please him. Perhaps in mercy he shall give me a host of children. By that he means converts. That I may lead them through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies whose finger ends set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him touch his garments and smile into his eyes, ah, then, not stars nor children shall matter, only himself. O Jesus, master and center and end of all, how long before that glory is yours which has so long awaited you? Now there is no thought of you among men. Then there shall be thought for nothing else. No, now other men are praised. Then none shall care for any other's merits. Hasten, 
Hasten, glory of heaven. Take your crown. Subdue your kingdom. Enthrall your creatures. To that we say, amen. Let me pray. Our Father, that is what we want. We want to see Jesus and to be enthralled. And we want it for people near and far from us. We've been given this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to you and not to us. So get all the glory, God, and give us and countless others the greatest joy. Give us Jesus now and forever. Amen.